Quick question, uh, show of hands. Anybody ever in here had or currently has a horse? Ever had or has a horse? Few? Yeah, I knew it, Clackamas County. That's a nice showing of hands you wouldn't expect in other places, but there's quite a few of us that have. There was once a time horses made work easier. That is not the case in this modern age. We had a horse when I was a kid, and there are three interesting things about him. Uh, one is that uh, he was useless. <laughs> Big old belly tumor. You couldn't ride him because it bowed his back. It wasn't safe for him. So he just walked around and ate stuff. Uh, second thing is uh, his name was Sundance, which is quite the name, especially when you know my father named him Sundance. So my dad's not here to defend his decision on that ridiculous name. He's on a business trip. But when you see him, you can ask him, uh, Mark, I never knew you were a hippie. Yeah, so Sundance was our horse. Sundance, the tumor horse. The third thing is that if you've had horses, usually one of them is your escape horse. Gets out all the time. We had one horse, and he was our escape horse. That horse was Houdini. He got out all the time, and it was my job and Jake's job always to go get him when we were little. And there was one time when he got out, he normally went to the neighbor's house, and he went and played with another horse called Willie. And he was so sweet when you'd come get him. He's like a kid you're picking up at preschool. He's happy to see you. He'd come back, and you're furious because it's 6.45 in the morning. Um, but he went one time really far away. I mean, if, if properties are like checkers, he went to the one in the corner. He was way out there. I didn't even know how to walk there, nor did my mom. My dad was out of town. Uh, he was still coming back. Jake was gone with him. So, like, I was the eight-year-old man of the house. So we piled into the minivan, Dodge Caravan, up the, the world's longest driveway. Uh, you would not believe how long this driveway is out in Georgia. And we went forever and ever. I get out. I see the stupid horse. I'm mad. I hook him. And, I'm, and I, the, I go to tell the guy, we got to get him back. And obviously, we can't load the horse in the van. So my mom leaves. I'm alone with this horse and this guy. And the neighbor that's there, he doesn't live there. He doesn't know the property. He's from Portland. Like, he looks at the trees and is like, who planted those? And it's like, that's a forest, my bro. It just was there. Like, that's this welcome to the country. So it was up to me to lead us back. And I had no idea how to get there. I knew that if you headed straight, it would go to, like, our back, back property. So it's me, and I'm, I'm leading this horse. I'm eight years old. I'm leading this horse. There's this ignorant guy with me, and I'm just walking into trees and bushes. I, like, I'm going to find the fence line, and apparently we're going to do this thing. And I remember really doubting his judgment because he wasn't doubting mine. I'm like an eight-year-old leading this man. He's like, let's go. And I'm panicking because there's, no, there's footpaths in some of our property, but not back there. I mean, it was going to be into the bushes and then I have to figure out where I live. Um, and I heard, uh, I, heard I, I swore I heard my brother Jake call my name. And I tell the guy, I'm like, hey, I think, I think I hear my brother. He goes, you're wrong. And I was like, this is when he finally asserts himself. You know, he's like, lead me, child, and you're wrong. Um, so I say it again. I'm like, I think, I really think I hear him. And sure enough, my brother, he's just running for all he's got. He's coming up through the other neighbor's field. And he's like, we got home. Dad heard what you are, and he knows that there's only one footpath back, and you have to go through a third neighbor, and it's this huge, broad, wonderful path. I mean, the horse is stepping on my feet. I'm walking into bushes. It was horrible. And we went back, and this path is huge. I mean, it was as wide as this room goes right through these trees. Really lovely. Uh, totally saved the day. And when I think of that memory, as much as walking back was great, uh, and uh, walking into the forest was, was scarring and judging of this man's judgment, 
what always hits me and strikes me, and I can remember it the most, and what it felt like was the moment I realized hope was coming, when hope had arrived. Uh, you know, when we celebrate Advent, we are not celebrating just the, the infancy of Jesus or trying to look at what life was like when he maybe first got here. There's, there's this deeper meaning that goes further back of how incredible it is that the promise is fulfilled. Excuse me, fulfilled. We remember that God's promises are fulfilled and that still there are Advent moments, moments when God's promises in our life are fulfilled to this day and our lives are changed forever. Tech, if you're wondering, I'm cutting that first video. So welcome to the chopping floor, everyone. You're never going to see me edit my sermons and you just got to see one. So <laughs> video cut, we're not using it. But when we look at Advent, we have questions of what is it like when Jesus comes to town? What's it like when God's promises really begin to pour out? What should we be expecting and what should we be doing to partner with that? And here's an interesting thing. For the next four weeks, we, our Christmas series is one verse. We're looking at Isaiah 9-6 for the next four weeks to deepen our understanding of this Christmas festival season so poetically picked when it would be in the year. And there's a lot of debate as to why it's now. And no one knows for sure. If anyone could tell you exactly why Christmas is on December 25th, they actually don't know because I've looked into it and there's a lot of different theories and nothing was ever written down and we have no idea. But it is, I believe, a perfect time to choose it because at the darkest days, the shortest days, the coldest days, that's when hope arrives. And that's what impacted me on that day without horses, that it was in that darkest moment that the day got worse and worse. We went up a long driveway. That was bad. I get there. I found out the property owner's not there, and his, his son is there. That was bad. We start walking through the field. That felt bad. But walking into those bushes, just straight into wilderness, I, I was stepped on. <laughs> that was really bad. And it was in that moment that hope arrives. It's a perfect season to celebrate it in. And so I want to read... Uh, a little bit more, and we'll end in verse 6. But it says in Isaiah 9, uh, starting in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Mighty Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We are going to be looking at those four names of God. Those four names that are on this royal son that is born to us, the Messiah, that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Today we're going to be starting with uh, wonderful counselor. And that phrase is rich and multifaceted. Of those four, that's probably the one I feel the most because the, the, just the spirit of God that comes through Christ, it, it is the wonderful counselor. And it's like what it feels like to experience God is to experience a wonderful counselor. 
And I want to look at three particular ways of understanding this phrase. First is that the Messiah is promised to be a revealer of wisdom, and that in his wisdom, he would counsel us and make us wise. Without God, it is the blind leading the blind advice given from broken people to broken people. There's this interesting thing in teaching and mentoring that it is basically impossible to mentor someone beyond you. You have to kind of release them to start to figure things out. And so the teacher is often the cap for the students. And to use his grand wisdom, I feel the only way to describe this is with 90s rap. Coolio says in Gangster's Paradise, they say I got to learn, but no one's here to teach me. They can't understand, so how can they reach me? It's this moment where he was brought up in, in a rough area of town in a promiseless life. And this is how he's expressing himself about it. And it reflects something that's very true. There is a desperate need to possess real knowledge and wisdom, to really know who God is and to live life at a deeper and wise level. But who can teach it if nobody knows it? And this is the essence of Hosea 5, or Hosea 4 when it says, you stumble day and night and the prophets stumble with you for my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I mean, really think on this. How many times in your life did you feel completely frozen because you lacked in some way some understanding? Normally we feel that, especially when we get unstuck, when we're unfrozen. Something happens, we, we learn something new and we can move beyond something or maybe we, we react very differently. I always feel I can feel my, my pulse of maturity changing when my emotional response changes. I feel like that's the last place I grow up that something happens and normally this is when I would lose my temper or this is normally when I would erode into anxiety. And I realize that new understanding has come to me and there's an unsticking at the sticking point. Over and over in our life, we find ourselves frozen and locked out for lack of understanding. John, uh, the apostle John describes Christ coming into the world as this, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This promised Messiah, this one that will come, this wonderful counselor, is a whole new beginning for us all, that the seeing will lead the blind. Until this point, it has been the blind leading the blind with bursts of vision given by God to teachers, to prophets, understanding. But the Messiah will be wisdom incarnate. More than just a dispenser of wisdom, wisdom incarnate, and from him he will bring us all understanding. The Samaritan woman speaks very well when she says this. When the Messiah comes, he will teach us all things. Her expectation is spot on. When the Messiah comes, he will teach us all things. A savior is born to us, a teacher, and he makes us wise. He makes wisdom simple. And this is really the beautiful part, that Christ is the wisdom, that he is the light. That it isn't that his teaching is simply the wisdom, his teaching is the light, but that he is, and that's critical. 
It's one of the things that reveals him as a great teacher because it means the wisdom of God is not for the intellectual alone. In fact, Jesus said that his gospel humbles the wise because they, they work so hard to understand and to lift themselves up, to consider themselves teachers to everybody else, to see their own intellect and wisdom as a way of saving the world from its problems, and to be deeply humbled when they realize kids could understand the wisdom that changes the world. We learn as we watch, listen, and imitate. The Apostle Paul summed up his, uh, his, all of his teaching on Christian character as this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It is made so simple, laid out so clear, because we can see in Christ the way that we are supposed to be, the way we are supposed to live, and if we imitate him, that wisdom becomes rooted in us. We shouldn't be surprised at all then that our wonderful counselor would be a perfect teacher who helps us to understand and to gives us incredible wisdom. And when Christ comes into your life and the more he comes in, the more territory we give him, the more control that we yield over to him, his wisdom pours into us. Whether you think of yourself as an intellectual, whether you think of yourself as one that wants to do with your hands, the wisdom of God is fully and completely available in who he is as we imitate him. There's another deep meaning in this uh, word, wonderful counselor. That means he will, it's sort of counsel as you would see in a court. He will be one of incredible strategy. His wisdom will be one of those marveling things that unsticks stuck moments. I had, anybody seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire? I once had a Slumdog Millionaire moment. If you're not familiar with the movie, this kid from the slums in India, he goes on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, India edition. They ask him the hardest questions in the world and he just knows all the answers. And like, he's definitely cheating. There's no way this kid knows. And the movie's all these flashbacks of like this one specific life experience where he just happened to learn that one little weird fact. I was working with my dad one time and we had to get the heads off of my wife's car to put new head gaskets on and they couldn't get out. It was like the engineers, they just really wanted you to pull that motor so you couldn't get it out. It was just right on the edge of the bolts and it was horrible. We couldn't, we were like, we're gonna have to pull this motor and we did not want to pull it to change a head gasket. Like that's that story that men tell each other when they're really mad. You gotta pull the whole motor to change a stinking head gasket. If I had that engineer in my hands and... So my dad had this idea. He got one of those ratcheting tie downs and he took it and he just ratcheted it into its own rubber uh, engine mounts until it pulled it just that, that quarter inch we needed and we were able to get each side off by pulling the engine side to side. So I had this moment where I'd seen true wisdom because I got to tell you guys something. I'm no mechanic. I, I can change oil and I could do some brake pads and that's about it. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm no genius, but... I'd seen that. That was my Slumdog Millionaire flashback. Years later, I, we were renting out space at our home to a guy who was working on transmissions. He couldn't get this transmission off. He's frustrated. He's been in there forever. He's got like a bachelor's in transition, transmission work and all this stuff. He's very smart. And I walk in there and I'm looking at it and I go, I have an idea. And we ratcheted it over to the side. It worked. We pulled it out. I looked like a genius and I didn't even tell him that uh, that wasn't my idea. <laughs> Full credit. But it was this moment to where, even though it wasn't really my wisdom, it's a picture I, I think of often of when someone comes in and they understand, 
and they see a solution nobody else sees, and they unstick the problem. That Jesus would be the same sort of, or the Messiah is promised to be the same sort of astonishing person of wisdom, the one that finds solutions when everything seems hopeless. They would find a solution to our lives and to our problems. When everything seems hopeless, the strategist will come in who can provide counsel that no one else could and solve problems in a way that no one else ever thought of. Now, this means something interesting. It means that the wisdom of the Messiah will be both astonishing and perplexing. That there will be times that it won't make sense because it doesn't sound like man's wisdom. Things like Jesus says that if someone punches you in the side of your face, don't deny turning and letting him hit the other side. If someone steals your cloak, let him also take your undergarment. The idea being return kindness for cruelty. And we hear a teaching like that, and we think to ourselves, uh, what kind of life will I lead if I did that? That goes very much against the way we think, and where will a life like that lead me? And his wise wisdom, his strategy, it can frustrate our senses. It can be counterintuitive to what we would expect. I have recently decided I will never doubt Waze again. Anybody use Waze? The, it's, if you're not familiar with Waze, it's like Google Maps or Apple Maps, but way more aggressive at routing you around traffic. And so it'll, it'll really see what's ahead of you. It's, it has all this data. It'll move you around. And I've doubted it several times, and I'm wrong every time. I was coming home one time, and it told me not to take Carver curves. It told me to go out like across the Carver Bridge and way out down Springwater. And I thought, you are stupid, and I'm not doing that. I'm in a hurry. And I kept going. And you know what happens like every year on Carver Curves? It's that stinking landslide. It took out both lanes. I had to wait till they opened one. I sat there for an hour. And at that moment, I was like, they should really add a feature to Waze when it calculates that you've arrived at the thing, and now you're waiting. It should just come up and just say, I told you so. <laughs> so now I don't doubt it. It's like, it could tell me, like, pull into, pull into that drive, and it'd be like, all right. I trust you. I have to accept that this app, for all of its sourcing and stuff, is pulling down information about the path ahead that I just really can't know, that I cannot comprehend. In the end, Christ's wisdom always leads us to the proper destination, even when it feels counterintuitive, even when you're told to take a detour that doesn't seem direct, even when it seems like he's taking forever to come through on his promises, the things that he does and the way he leads us is one of wisdom and strategy. And while it's astonishing, it's also perplexing. And we have to follow it with complete faith. Wisdom's so true that when it doesn't make sense, you take it on faith. That's the level that our wonderful counselor speaks at, that when it doesn't seem true, we simply take it on faith. The last thing I want to look at is that the wonderful counselor, the, the final connotation, the sort of in the language, in the context, is that this counselor will speak with truth and goodness. The sense of wonderful counsel is both being wonderful, it has this connotation in Hebrew of total righteousness. It's used actually to describe the acts of God far more than anything else. And that he would speak it with truth. You see, human leaders... They have a shaky relationship with truth. 
that speaking it can be a threat to them. So they often develop into soothsayers and they, they calculate their words to get around tough issues, to not mention it, to keep you on track with what they want from you. And speechwriters will polish a politician's speech to where it sounds fine because of the way that they can just move and use the right words in the right moments and get around things. And every word is carefully chosen not to reflect truth. The, the thought that runs through the mind isn't how can I tell them the most truth, but it's how can I manipulate the truth for my own purpose. I really think this is why we have this thing where when leaders are speaking to us, sometimes in the back of our mind, we're running this program of what does he want me to do? What does she want me to do? What are they trying to make me do? as we protect ourselves from being manipulated. But true leadership comes from someone who can really speak the truth. You know, before World War II, British, uh, the British Empire was the most powerful nation on earth. And in 1939, when the Nazis were rising to power, the British Empire dispatched all of their resources into Europe, sending troops from across the empire uh, to bolster their allies against Nazi invasion. And by 1940, they were completely routed. They watched the old world burn and crumble beneath uh, tank treads. They watched their friends and allies get gunned down in the streets. And they fled back across the channel to their island. And if you want an idea of how desperate that was, you could watch the movie Dunkirk. Dunkirk was the last place they evacuated last of them out of. And the empire was stretched so thin that it took commercial fishermen to come across the channel completely unarmed to try to get as many out as they could. The failure was so bad that the Prime Minister of England actually resigned. A new Prime Minister had come in in the spring. It is now late spring. He'd only been in power for a few months. And the whole nation looks to the Prime Minister, the whole empire, and indeed the whole world, because the British were the ones everyone relied on for global security, to answer what would be done in this horrible dark hour, the worst they had ever seen pushed to the brink, because when they retreated across the channel, they weren't going to regather to come back. They were getting ready because they had lost the Battle of Europe, and it was over, and the Battle of Britain was about to begin. Everybody was preparing for invasion, and they looked to the prime minister to say something into the situation. I wonder, what do you say in that moment? What could you possibly say in the moment when everyone is ready to vomit from fear? What really strikes me about Winston Churchill's speech is that he speaks complete and total truth, brutal truth. And yet it's one of the most powerful and profound speeches of all time. And I'm going to actually play the whole speech. And I'm going to play it from a movie that dramatizes it because it's a little bit easier to watch instead of just looking at Winston Churchill's face as the radio plays. But you're going to hear the exact verbatim word-for-word -word speech even collecting things as the pauses that he did and the breaks and the way that things were said in certain speeds and slowed down. It's copied extremely well. And it may be a bit of a long clip. It's almost five minutes, but I want you to hear the whole speech. And I want you to hear the kind of truth that he speaks in this moment. So we're going to play this clip. To the question of invasion, I would observe that there has never been a period in all these long centuries of which we boast, when an absolute guarantee against invasion could have been given to our people. Yeah. 
But I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary, for years, if necessary, alone. At any rate, that is what we are, are going to try to do. That is the result of His Majesty's government, every man of them. To your right, that is the will of Parliament and the nation. The British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to the death they are native soil. Aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. <laughs> Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have, have fallen or may fall into the, the grip of the Gestapo, and all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end! We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! And if... And if... Which I, I, I do not for a moment believe, this island or large part of it were where we're subjugated and starving, then our empire, beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. You know, it strikes me as, uh, first off, when he says beaches, landing pads, hills, he's not referring to Europe. He's referring to them fighting on their own soil. 
It would be what seemingly could be a terrifying speech that rallied a people. And I think about the fact that the Nazis could have given just as accurate a depiction of what happened in Europe, could have said, could have told them the, the same level of this is the truth, and it would have eroded the courage of the British people. But Churchill speaks that with love for his countrymen, and it became inspiring. That he could speak truth, and when it was spoken with love, it became inspiring. So you need to know also, Christ is never going to be a soothsaying person who tells you soothsaying semi-truths and words of comfort. He will be entirely and completely honest, but he'll speak it in love. And this is what makes his counsel wonderful. It's what makes the words of the Messiah set us free, that we would have complete honesty, but a leader dedicated to leading us out of here. And I'll tell you, a leader like that king, born to us, promised to us, that will be called Wonderful Counselor, a leader like that deserves utter devotion. No one's ever going to match Christ, born to us, born from us, coming out from us, leading us, our Wonderful Counselor. It's time to bravely open up our lives to Christ's conviction that he could speak, that we would be open to hear, that we'd be open to read his gospel with saying, Lord, I want truth spoken to me. That as we read his words, we never have the program running in our mind of what is he manipulating me into, but knowing that he spoke the truth, that he still speaks the truth, and that he speaks the truth to your spirit today. Because he is worthy of what we call him, wonderful counselor. And we need that wonderful counselor in our lives. And in this season, we celebrate his grand arrival. I would pray and hope that he arrives to us all the more every day. The gospel plays itself out again. He arrives to us at first, but he arrives to us in that area of our life, in this one, in that one. Would we have Advent today and the next day as Christ becomes more and more alive in our lives, as he moves more and more, takes more of his territory that is us? and that we could follow him as he leads us in truth with his compassion as our wonderful counselor. I'd like to pray for us. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. Before I pray, I want to give anyone an opportunity that's in here. If you've not given your life to Christ, you haven't dedicated, you said, Lord, you are my Lord, and you want to make that decision today. Be warned, it is deeply reorienting to your entire life. And many things may be unrecognizable, but I'm telling you this, it's the kind of unrecognizable you need. So if that's you and you want to make that commitment today, I just in a private moment, you can raise your hand and put it back down, and I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to pray for you from up here. So if that's you, you can raise your hand. And for all the many of us that know that Lord, that kind of advent and arrival comes again and again. Lord, I pray that we would be, as the ones that know you, who call on your name, who are dedicated to you, Lord, I pray that your truth would arrive fresh all the time. That it would be that kind of truth and mercy, the wonderful counsel, the wisdom that sees around things as you unstick our lives, as you arrive to bring in new understanding. God, I pray for the areas in our lives that we are frozen and stuck. 
and it feels like things go around and around and we can't get past it, Lord, I pray that you would bring understanding. It is one of the things, one of the four things that says that the one born to us, our Messiah, would do is that he will bring understanding in his wonderful counsel. Lord, I pray for knowledge and wisdom and understanding to break out in our lives and over those individuals that feel frozen and particularly stuck this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be able to trust you all the more, that when you say, do this, turn here, do that, we wouldn't doubt it, we wouldn't wonder if it's true, but that we would have faith that your counsel is good, even when it is perplexing. And God, help us devote ourselves all the more to you, to open up our own spirits and our own lives that we could respond to your conviction, that we'd say, Lord, come speak truth over me. I won't fear the truth when it comes from your mouth. When you come to say the things that I am insecure about or afraid about, you can speak truth to those things, Lord, because you speak it with love for me. You inspire and you lead out and you unstick. So God, we give you our, ourselves this morning. Lord, help us devote ourselves to you all the more as our good and great King. Thank you, wonderful counselor. In your name we pray, amen.